Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus inland empire hands the ball over to the guy who had the second hottest hand in the tent Eric Sendejas, the second shot of the save here tonight, trying to steal a victory and a sweep of the quake. It's 7-5 in the 11th. Eric Sendejas on the mound. Pitching change brought to you by Azusa Pacific University. Become a better teacher, coach, counselor, or administrator. Take the classes offered online or at their Inland Empire Regional Center in San Bernardino. Bautista. Came in in the ninth inning. Pitched a scoreless frame. Sixers scored in the tenth inning to put themselves on top for the first time since the early action. But Daniel Tillman, their star closer, unable to finish it out. Fact, he had the bases loaded, nobody out, but managed to wriggle his way out of it by striking out three in a row with the bases loaded. And now it's Erickson Dejas who will get a two-run lead here in the 11th after RBIs from Crone and Grichuk in the top half of the frame. Sendejas faces Vasquez first. First pitch inside, and he hit him. Well, here we go again. Another hit batter for the Quakes, giving Rancho a shot with the tying run coming up. Vasquez aboard after being hit by the pitch. Slow to make his way to first. That one shook him up a little bit, but now he'll make his way over. The Quakes game-tying 10th inning started innocently enough with a hit-by-pitch from Daniel Tillman. Hopefully... For the Sixers' sake, it's not history repeating itself here. Cassio Grider, the batter. He is 0 for 4 tonight. First pitch. That one is a little bit low. Ball one. Sendejas, 3 and 2 this year. Two saves. 2.54 ERA. Mentioned he is one of the hottest pitchers on the roster. 11 and a third scoreless innings thrown by Sendejas since July 13th. 2 and 0 in that span. Holding hitters hitting below 200. 1-0 missed outside, 2-0. The Quakes haven't had to do very much here to keep themselves in it. The Sixers' bullpen just keeps giving away bases. 
the 2-0. There's a strike, and it's 2-1. Daniel Tillman, in his inning, before he recorded an out, hit a batter, walked two, and gave up a bunt single that hugged the third base line for a hit. The 2-1 is outside, three balls and a strike. And Dejas normally has pinpoint accuracy. He's only walked four batters in 46 innings this year. It's 3-1 and one to Grider. The pitch swung on, chopped at the plate. It's a foul ball. Andy fielding with the bare hand, throwing to second, but really doesn't matter. Ball was fielded with Bandy behind the plate, reaching back, so definitely a foul ball. Count is 3-2. and two. The Sixers lead 7-5. A couple innings ago, it felt like both teams were doing everything they could to win this game. Now, it feels like just the team in front can't find a way to finish it off for both teams. Cassio Grider waits on the 3-2. Zendeja ready with the payoff pitch. Sidewinder with the delivery, and it's inside ball four. And the tying run is aboard here in the 11th. Let's pause 10 seconds for station identification on the Sixers radio network. You're listening to 66ers Baseball on the Inland Empire's local sports leader. AM 1050, KCAA, Loma Linda, Riverside, San Bernardino. Sixers lead 7-5 here in the 11th, but once again, they have given away two free bases to the Quakes. Jan Vasquez was hit by the first pitch thrown by Eric Sendeos, and then Castillo Grider got himself a walk. So the tying run is at first. No one is out in the top of the order coming up for Rancho. Scott Wingo, you can imagine, would be asked to sacrifice here. Bill Hasselman out for a meeting. Personally, at this point, with how difficult it's been for the Sixers to get the first out and then how easy they've come afterwards, if it were me, I would say let them sacrifice and just get that out at first base. Trust in Dejas and as hot as he's been, and don't mess around. If something presents itself and you have an easy shot at the guy at third, maybe go for it. But or else, take the stir out, buckle down, and go get two more with the tying run in scoring position. That's just me. We'll see what Hasselman has told the Sixers as they set up in preparation for Scott Wingo, who they believe is going to be bunting here. Scott Wingo this season, a 260 hitter, two home runs, 30 RBIs. He is the winning run. No one is out here in the bottom of the 11th. Gunners at first and second for the Quakes. Sendejas, first pitch. It's bunted left side. Sendejas picks it up. Throw to first is not in time. Wingo beat it out for a bunt single. And once again... The bases are loaded here for Rancho, and now it's Jock Peterson coming up. It's like a replay from the last inning. Which one of these teams is going to put the other one away? 
Eric Sendejas' stretch of scoreless innings is very much in jeopardy, and so too is a second lead for the Sixers. Middle infield goes to double play depth. The corners pinch in. Jock Peterson up to the plate. He's 0 for 3 tonight with two walks. First pitch, and he will take low, ball one. Peterson has 11 home runs and 40 RBIs this year. Coming into tonight, he was hitting above 400 against Inland Empire. Takes the 1-0 breaking ball outside, 2-0. This is almost unbelievable. Daniel Tillman was throwing better than anyone else in the league. Couldn't get that first out until the fifth batter of the tenth. And now Zendejas almost as hot doing the same. The 2-0. Breaking ball in for a strike. 2-1. Over at third base, it's Vasquez. Ryder, the tying run at second. And the winning run, Wingo at first. Sixers at least have an extra run cushion here. 2-1 swing, and that's foul to the right side. Peterson spinning on that one. But he was a little too quick, and now it's 2-2. Two and two. Dejas has not allowed a run to Rancho all season. In fact, that bunt single was just the fourth hit he's permitted. 2-2 two, two pitch. Swing, and that one's golfed out to right. Gritchick going back on the ball. No, high, sorry, and that's over his head and off the wall. And it rolls away from Hyde. Three runs are in, and Rancho wins it on a walk-off bases-clearing triple from Jock Peterson. The Sixers had two leads in extra innings, and they blow them both. Here to the quake. A three-RBI triple for Jock Peterson. And Rancho wins it by a final of 8-7. to seven. Eight runs, 11 hits, one air, and nine left on by the Quakes. Sixers, seven runs, 13 hits, no airs. They strand 11. Ryan O'Sullivan somehow gets a win tonight. He goes to 2-2. Two and two. Eric Zendejas takes the loss. He's 3-3. Three and three. 19.09 on hand to witness it. It took four hours, one minute to complete. And the Sixers fail to sweep the Quake. 8-7 your final. Back with the Sam Manuel Band of Mission Indians postgame show next on the Sixers Radio Network. Like a faithful hound dog, City News brings you the local news about your city and your neighborhood. It's a buffet for your eyes, something for everyone, from baby Joey to Grandpa Billy. Sports, events, how-tos, games, puzzles, and more. Feast on current events. So to find out who is making things happen and where it's happening, pick up the City News. To find a location near you, call 909-370-1200. Again, that number is 909-370-1200. Pizza Dilly, the Inland Empire's pizza place, is celebrating its 30th anniversary on the corner of Valley and 9th and Colton, the original home of the two-foot pizza, where prices are so low you never need a coupon. 
Order a signature two-foot-long pizza today by calling 909-370-0242. That's 909-370-0242. 909-370-0242. Swing by for lunch specials as low as $3.50 every single day. Go see them at Valley and 9th and Colton. Pizza Dillon, the pizza place for baseball fans in the Inland Empire. Your online image is important to you and your company. Your website helps to project this image as well as keeping your visitors informed. LateNightWebsite.com can help you bring your idea, product, or service to life or the Internet. We can help in designing a layout that matches your company's image. From a few pages with a contact form to a custom website with a shopping cart, armed with a cup of coffee and over six years' experience, you can feel confident that we will be working late so you don't have to. For fast, honest, and affordable service, call 909-810-20. 200 or visit LateNightWebsite.com. Let's go back to the ballpark for the Inland Empire 66ers post-game show. Brought to you by the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Rounding third, heading for home is Calhoun. The throw to the plate, sweep tag, not on there. Calhoun scores. Sixers win 6-5. to five. Here is your host, Sam Farber. A heck of a game tonight here at the Epicenter, but what a heartbreaker. Sixers fall 8-7 in 11. Sam Farmer here on the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians postgame show. Coming up, we'll recap the last couple of innings. Sixers had a chance to win and sweep the Quakes, come home with all kinds of momentum, but they failed despite having all the opportunities they could have asked for in extra. We'll break it down next on the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians postgame show. Mike Piazza talks about the Baseball Hall of Fame. It just connects you with the history of the game and uh, the, the tradition of this game and how far, how important this game is to, to the fabric of society. It's something I use to bond with my father and I will always, and I love to, to sort of teach my kids uh, the history of baseball. Preserving history, honoring excellence, connecting generations. Connect with Cooperstown at BaseballHall.org. 66er Baseball wants you to join the team for an affiliation celebration at San Manuel Stadium. Friday, August the 3rd, the 66ers are giving away Angels Collapsible Coolers. Saturday the 4th, celebrate in style with your very own Rally Monkey Beanie, courtesy of the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Then Sunday the 5th, Angels Drawstring Backpacks will be available. All giveaways are in limited supply, so contact your 66er representative today. Check 66ers.com for more details on all the great promotions. Come on out with the family to enjoy 66er Baseball. Possibilities is a free community outreach program developed by Loma Linda University Medical Center East Campus. Loma Linda University Possibilities helps disabled individuals get back to living a fulfilling life by providing hope through physical, social, educational, and spiritual interaction, giving them a sense of community and pride. If you or someone you know is dealing with a physical disability, call Possibilities at 909-558-6384. Possibilities, helping disabled individuals live a more fulfilling life. Now back to 66ers Baseball with Sam Farber on AM 1050 and KCAARadio.com. Sixers fall tonight by a final of 8-7. to seven. Speed things up to the 8th inning. Sixers were down 4-2. to two. They scored in the 8th thanks to a missed throw on what should have been a double play to end the inning from Scott Wingo. He threw it in the dirt 
And Inland Empire got a run out of it. Randall Gritchick coming home. It would end up being an earned run. Sixers made it 4-3. In the ninth, a leadoff double from Drew Hyde was cashed in after a long fly ball to center advanced him by Taylor Lindsay. And then Caleb Coward scored him with a sack fly to left. Sixers had tied it at four. In the tenth, they took the lead when Randall Gritchick mashed one over the left field wall just inside the foul pole. And it was a 5-4 score in favor of Inland Empire. Inland Empire gave the ball to their sure-handed closer, Daniel Tillman, who unfortunately was anything but tonight. He hit the first batter, Scott Wingo, with an 0-2 pitch, walked Jock Peterson. Bobby Coyle trying to sacrifice himself, bunted one perfectly down the third baseline. It died for a single. And then Austin Gallagher got a bases-loaded walk to tie the game. Bases loaded, nobody out, and Tillman kicked back into form striking out the next three in order, Sanko, Baez, and Jacobs, to force an 11th. In that inning, Inland Empire led off with a single from Hive, moved to second after Taylor Lindsay failed on two stack bunt attempts. He bounced one to the right side and did get Hyde over into scoring position. Caleb Cowart was walked, setting up the league leader in RBI, C.J. Crone, who singled through the right side for his league-best 103rd run batted in of the season. And it put Coward at third. He'd scored on a Fueler's choice it into by Randall Gritchick. And it was a two-run lead for the Sixers. And they gave the ball to their second most sure-handed and hottest reliever of this 2012 late-season run, Eric Sendejas. 11 and a third straight scoreless inning. That came to a close. He hit Jan Vasquez with the first pitch he threw. Walked Cassio Grider, the number nine place hitter. Scott Wingo then tried to sacrifice him over. But he reached on a bunt single, setting things up for Jock Peterson who hit one to the wall in right, unloading the bases and winning it for the Quake. 8-7 the final in 11. Back with your stars of the game next on the Sam Manuel Band of Mission Indians post-game show. If you served in the military and ever thought about serving again, now is the time. Join the Air National Guard. You'll receive many of the same benefits you once had, and it's part-time. But it does require a non-stop commitment to freedom. It's an opportunity to serve again. It's an opportunity to help others again. Call the California Air National Guard at 1-800-T-O-G-O-A-N-G or visit goang.com backslash CA. Life is fragile. We are strong. At Loma Linda University Children's Hospital, pediatric specialists are 100% committed to this belief. It's what allows us to deliver a full range of pediatric services, from primary to the most advanced care. It motivates us to remain the only level one pediatric trauma center in the Inland Empire and inspires our 15 specialty team centers for outpatient care. It drives our neonatal intensive care unit and guides the Toyota Learning Center so our school-age kids can stay on track with their studies during treatment. We are Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. To learn more, visit www.lomalindakids.org. A great double play combination. The Inland Empire 66ers and AM 1050. Sixers fall tonight in 11-8-7. They had a couple of chances to win it, but couldn't close it out, and the Quakes avoid a sweep. Sam Farber here on the Sam Manuel Band of Mission Indians postgame show. Time to pick some stars of the game. It's really hard to figure, you know, who should truly get this one on the mound. We'll give it to Brian George. Two scoreless innings. He kept the Sixers in it in the late to what turns out to be middle innings for this one, and gave his team a chance to win it, but uh, a 
didn't end up going that way as the Sixers obviously fell in 11. Plenty of candidates for hitter of the game. If you're looking at the entire contest, I think Randall Gritchick's a great candidate. Four for six. He had a home run. Drove in two totals. Scored three. On the other side, Bobby Coyle, four for five. He had a home run. Drove in three. But at the end of the night, the late-inning heroes, it seemed like C.J. Crone was going to get it with his game-winning RBI in the 11th. But instead, it's Bobby Coyle's bases clearing triple in the 11th. Four runs batted in for him tonight. One guy who has hit the Sixers well this year, hitting over 400 against Inland Empire, and his last hit the big one, it gives the Quakes the win. 8-7 the final. Sixers have to find a way to bounce back. They're going to go from being potentially five games back in the wild card race with 30 to play to being six out of the wild card and now seven out of the second half crown with 30 left and probably shell-shocked after tonight's loss. They'll take on San Jose tomorrow. Inland Empire scheduled to have the Lion King, Max Russell, out there on the mound going up against the Giants. We'll have all the action for you starting at 6.55 with the San Manuel and Mission Indians pregame show right here on the 66ers radio network. That's going to do it for our broadcast tonight. Thanks to our producer, Eric Hunter, for a job well done. Thanks to the entire cast and crew here at the Epicenter. It's been a great season with these guys, and we enjoy the visit. The Sixers, they won the season series 18-7, to but this one is certainly going to sting for a long time. However, they'll count this one as a successful series against the Quakes in 2012. They do take the series two games to one. Most of all, we thank all of you for tuning in tonight. It was fun talking to you. For everyone here on the 66ers Radio Network, I'm Sam Farber saying thanks for listening. Final score in 11, Quakes 8, Sixers 7. Talk to you tomorrow on the 66ers Radio Network. This has been the Inland Empire 66ers postgame show, presented by the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Here's the 2-2. Swing and a miss, strike three. Down by way of the K goes Leonardo Hill, and the Sixers will celebrate. They are going to the postseason on the back of a one nothing victory here in Stockton. Today's broadcast is copyrighted 2012 by Inland Empire 66er Baseball, the California League, and the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues Incorporated. The 66ers and your 66er station, AM 1050 KCAA, thank you for tuning in and invite you back next time for more 66er baseball. We now join our regularly scheduled program already in progress on AM 1050 KCAA, Loma Linda, Riverside, San Bernardino. Village, he decides, man, if I gave 20 bucks, that would really help. How then do we go from that to the creation of these microfinance organizations that are becoming big business and real scams? Who starts it? Who, who decides we can make big money on little loans? Well, historically, the microfinance institution started with a founder, like you said, who saw this amazing opportunity to lend $25, um, and then maybe set up a small NGO and use some private financing, maybe some don- donations from local, local friends and family, sure. whatever, his own money, and builds up a, a small business. Then what starts to happen is, as it reaches a certain size, a few hundred clients, maybe a thousand clients, it becomes necessary to formalize certain things. Mm -hmm. You have to get computer systems, you have to start thinking of training, manuals, all this sort of stuff. 
And then, before you know it, you have the international donors knocking on your door saying, while you're doing microfinance, we, we would like to support you. So initially you get, you know, you go from a few thousand dollars to some tens or hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of dollars, and the business starts growing. And then you have to start worrying about operating costs and expense ratios, and you have to keep your donors happy. Then what happens is you start being offered large sums of money from professional microfinance investment funds. And they say, well, now you've got to half a million dollars. Why didn't you go to five million dollars? Why didn't you go to 50 million dollars? But now you're going to have to start playing by the rules of international finance. You're going to have to start meeting Wall Street-style criteria and return on assets and all these sorts of metrics. But the argument is, well, we're going to, have, we're going to increase outreach and we're going to help more people. So what started as a very good idea, we can make it into an even bigger and better idea. So there's a sort of natural tendency for this to happen. Then at a certain point, people start saying to you, well, why don't you actually become a bank? Because mm. right now you're just relying on money from, from USAID or mm. a microfinance investment fund. If you were able to actually capture savings and then use those savings to lend to the poor, basically, which is what normal banking right. does, then, you would, uh, then you'd be able to become national or you know, transnational and you could have a huge impact. But then you have to meet all these regulatory requirements. And then the, the, other, the other thing you have to do to become a bank is you have to have shareholders. Now, at this point, the investors start you know, salivating because mm -hmm. they can then now, instead of just providing money, they can actually become shareholders of the institution. That's right. And then what they will do is they'll start increasing the salaries of some of the local management, maybe replace some of the management, and start realigning the company to really focus on pure commercial terms. The pure commercial terms headed by managers that might be local managers, but then there's also the management of the entire operation that has now gone from a small charity, a small non-government organization, into a big banking business, complete with a lot of the regulations that would, would, uh, would affect a bank if it were loaning here in the middle of Los Angeles or something. Um, the shareholders are now buying into the myth that the institution exists first and foremost for them because they get a return, just like if they were investing in Boeing. Is yes. that the psychology? Yeah, the, yeah, that is largely the psychology. What happens is it, it doesn't happen all in one day. There is this gradual shift, whereas you start off with a very socially focused mission, and gradually it gets hijacked through time until eventually you start earning very large sums of money and you've become a, just a business. Now, the thing that people seem to conveniently forget is all profit from any microfinance institution comes from one source, the poor people. So if you want to be profitable, if you want to attract external investors, if you want to, in the, in the limiting case, if you want to actually float your microfinance institution mm -hmm. on the stock market, then you have to play by the rules of, of the financial sector, which is profit maximization. So by this point, you've generally become a large player in your community. So you, you, you tend to have some sort of monopolistic power. And it's very difficult for other people to come in and, and, and take, compete with you and, and, und, and undermine right. your business and take your clients. Because by this point, you are generally a large institution with a, with a national outreach. Exactly. It's very difficult for other people to come in. When the goat, the woman with the goat, the fabled woman with the goat, 
she now sees uh, that there is this bigger institution that might not just be somebody who, in an almost charitable gesture, gives her $20. Now she can get in. What is she going to be paying What's the deal going to be when she goes and she says, look, I got this great goat farming idea. Um, I need some money. She is not going to be able to go uh, just, I don't know, write a letter to Bank of America in the United States and say, hey, I got this great idea. So she goes to somebody locally. What's the deal? What does she know she will be paying? What are the fees? What's the interest rate? What are the hidden covenants? You know, what is she signing? Well, Ironically, she probably doesn't really know what she's signing because there will be all sorts of clauses. In many cases, she might not be able to read and write and, yep. and often just signs with a, with a fingerprint. Right. But yep. the interest rates vary hugely. So this idea that interest rates are you know, 10 20% is, is mm. mythical. Um, it's very common to pay 50%. It's, n it's in Africa and in parts of Latin America, it's completely normal to be paying 100% when all the costs are considered. And in the, the most extreme case that I've come across, Banco Compartamos in Mexico, the interest rates, the total cost when everything is considered um, has reached as high as 195%. 195% in this instance in Mexico. Um, when does the borrower start to realize that she or he has been had? Well, unfortunately, in many cases, the borrower doesn't necessarily know. They just see that the business is not able to service the loan so well. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily know all the calculations. And there is a sort of knee-jerk reaction, which is, I have a cash flow problem, therefore mm -hmm. I'm going to get a loan from someone else. And there you get into the really big problems, which is when you start refinancing one loan with another with loan, another. and then a third, and then a fourth. Yeah. But it should come as no surprise that these institutions that are charging these interest rates are phenomenally profitable. Indeed. It, it would be hard not to be profitable at that level. Yes, it would. And it, it, again, like a credit card, you start getting your second credit card to pay off the first is your first step. It's your second, maybe it's already your third step toward calamity. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Hugh Sinclair sitting here in the office in Washington, D.C. Confessions of a Microfinance Heretic is the name of the book, and the subject is really how microfinancing lost its way and is now betraying the poor, and by the way, costing them a great deal in the process. We'll be back for more right here on Culture Shocks. I'm Barry Lynn. What time do your sweet tooth cravings start every night? 8 o'clock? 9? Do you indulge that craving and ruin your day's healthy eating and then wake up tired and dragging in the morning from too much sugar? Now you can give your body what it craves and feed it something healthy before bed so you'll get a better night's sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. Night food is a delicious, decadent, but healthy late-night snack formulated to help you fall asleep and feel rested when you wake up in the morning. A single filling night food bar can take the place of a stack of cookies or that bowl of ice cream. It can do wonders for your diet. Get a free week of night food and you'll see what we mean. Just call us at 1-800-474-5040. Give your body what it craves, late night decadence, and get a great night's sleep too. Call now for your free week of night food. Just pay shipping and handling. 800-474-5040. That's 800-474-5040. Again, 800-474-5040. Call right now.
When you need to secure your valuables privately, go where privacy and security is scientifically managed. 24-7 Private Vaults uses the biometric iris recognition system to establish and maintain your account. Only you get to your vault with your iris scan. No ID, no names. No one in the country provides this degree of privacy and security while at the same time affording you access to your safety deposit boxes. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Take the live tour. Meet Mr. Elliott and the staff at 24-7 Private Vault, located near the airport at 3110 East Sunset Road in Las Vegas. Or call 702-948-5555 for more information. Mention this station when you register your box, vault, or safe and receive one month free every year you're a customer with 24-7 Private Vaults. Check out their website at 247privatevaults.com. Investors, the intelligent alternative to banks is now an excellent business opportunity. Visit 247privatevaults.com and click on the business opportunity page. Hello, my name is Stephanie Georgia, and I'm the host of Real Food Empire. But for my day job, I also am an integrative family acupuncturist in San Bernardino County. I specialize in the best of what both Eastern and Western natural medicine has to offer. I use state-of-the-art blood and saliva tests along with the ancient art of traditional Chinese medicine to help you and your loved ones achieve health. Call 909-793-9355 and make that first appointment on your road to recovery. My office at the Wellness Loft is located at 112 East Olive Avenue near historic Old Town in Redlands off the 10 Freeway and the Orange Avenue exit. You can check me out at thewellnessloftonline.com or go to my personal website greenrx.org. I look forward to joining you on your road to recovery. Call 909-793-9355 today for special KCAA listener introductory consultation rates. I look forward to serving you and your family. Do you own a commercial building or are looking to finance a business? Don't let your local bank tell you to wait until the economy recovers. Use the power of your pen to refinance right now and lock in one of the lowest commercial mortgage rates in U.S. history. See what your payment might be with a free loan quote from businessloanoffice.com. Save hundreds of thousands in interest on apartment or office buildings. Lower your monthly payments on a self-storage facility, restaurant, or franchise. See what your payment might be with businessloanoffice.com. We specialize in commercial property loans from 250000 to $12 million. Find out why doctors, lawyers, and accountants choose businessloanoffice.com to buy their buildings. Learn how SBA and USDA government-guaranteed loans could put an extra $20,000 a year in your pocket. With low fixed rates and low closing costs, the Business Loan Office is the number one rated commercial mortgage lender on national radio. For your free quote and advice on commercial and business financing, visit businessloanoffice.com. Call 1-800-551-7850. 800-551-7850. Businessloanoffice.com. 800-551-7850. KCAA, the Inland Empire's number one local talk radio station, now has the number one talk radio host, as selected by the readers of the Inland Empire Weekly. Hear Lanny Swardlow and Marijuana Compassion and Common Sense, the show that tells you the truth about marijuana every Monday at 6 p.m. on the number one talk radio station, now with the number one talk radio host.
For nearly 30 years, Robert Cardoza and Associates has been the relationship choice of business owners and professionals for financial, tax, and estate planning. Robert Cardoza and Associates, your one-stop location for a full spectrum of legal, accounting, banking, insurance, real estate, financial planning, and business consulting. Call 909-466-9996. 909-466-9996. And don't miss Robert Cardoza Live weekdays at 5 p.m. here on KCAA. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. All right, we are back right here on Culture Shocks. Barry Lynn and in studio, Hugh Sinclair, author of the new book, Confessions of a Microfinance Heretic. He started in this business. He knew what this business could do. He thought he knew how it was doing it. But then there were some problems because if you loan money and you start to loan money big time and you start to develop an institution to get more investors to give you more money that you can play with and you can float it around, you know, overnight, try to get the best return, all of a sudden the business part of it becomes more important than the social part of it, the social justice part of it, that let's help the poor part of it. It's been around for a long time. Some of you may remember Scott uh, Janney, who wrote the book on Barack Obama's mother, Stanley Ann Dunham. Uh, Barack Obama allegedly loved what she did. She was an early uh, proponent of microfinance, not, not the way it's come to be practiced now, but it was a big uh, factor. Oprah Winfrey by the 70s was promoting this along with some of her other ideas, good, bad, and otherwise. And indeed, a Nobel Prize went to Muhammad Yunus uh, for his work on microfinance. All of this gins up a huge amount of interest. The reality turns out, sadly, uh, not to be what it was cracked up to be. So, Hugh, as you describe people borrowing money from Institution B to pay off the debts to Institution A, it does start to sound a lot like a Ponzi scheme, whether it's the original Mr. Ponzi or the slightly but not much more sophisticated Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. It sounds like people know what they're doing, knowing that people are being cheated, and they don't care. Yeah, that, that is in many cases unfortunately the case. Um, if we look at the, the crises that have blighted the sector, uh, we've got Pakistan, Bosnia, Morocco, Bolivia, most recently Nicaragua. Um, what often happens is the loans get passed from one institution to the next, mm -hmm. to the next, to the next. As the music is playing, as this game is going on, the banks are able to uh, show off about their incredible repayment rates, the famous 99% <laughs> repayment rate. Of course, they're earning lots of interest because mm -hmm. they are receiving the money back. They just, it's just coming from another institution. Right. Um, and the, the, the music can just keep playing for a while. And as we saw with Bernie Madoff, the music can keep playing for, for many years. But unfortunately, what happens is there is, a, there is an event. It's usually triggered by some, some external situation. In the case of Nicaragua, it was triggered by a bank who decided to try to imprison 30 of its non-repaying clients. This sparked a revolt in the village, which mm -hmm. then spread to the region, which eventually f turned into a nationwide movement called No Pago, I Won't Pay. Mm -hmm. And then 
you had millions of Nicaraguans just saying, you know what, this, the, these loans, we've been doing them for a decade, it hasn't made the slightest bit of difference, we're still in exactly the same position as before, and we're not going to repay. Yeah. So you then had the entire collapse of the microfinance sector there, from $420 million to $170 million almost overnight. And this, this, this is repeated time and time again. But the and people notice it. Now, I, I don't want to blame the victims, and I, I didn't want to su even suggest that a few minutes ago. But at some point, you know, the borrower, the credit card borrower, the people who might be listening to this show in the middle of Texas and, or Arizona or somewhere, and, and they say, well, well, you know, this sounds kind of just like what we're going through. Maybe they didn't read the fine print. Here are people that perhaps can't read print if it was the biggest print around they they literally are illiterate uh, but in nicaragua it starts it's it's a wildfire it spreads why haven't other people noticed the same thing they're being had in some cases by essentially the same institutions whether it's in asia latin america or parts of eastern europe well, what we have to realize is that, I mean, for a start, there's no communication between these countries. Mm -hmm. So the information that really affects the poor people in, in Nicaragua doesn't really reach the poor people in Peru. They don't necessarily mm -hmm. hear about that. But the other thing is that the difference between um, Arizona or Texas and Nicaragua is that in, in the United States, there, there is a degree of financial literacy. It's mm -hmm. not always extremely high, but there right. is a degree of it. There is some degree of transparency. Banks have to explain in simple language what the interest rates are. They have to be somewhat open about the fees. Um, and then there are, there are some regulations that protect people when, they, few, become, right. when right. they become cripplingly indebted. Now, as we know, even in the United States, this hasn't worked entirely mm -hmm. smoothly. But when we're talking about countries such as Nicaragua, there is no regulatory protection. There is no, there is no protection of, of the citizens' rights. There is very little um, financial literacy. And, and these people, I mean, we forget that although microfinance does look very similar to traditional banking, mm -hmm. these people are often a lot more vulnerable. And that cannot be ignored. We have to take that into account. And there is this temptation amongst the poor to, you know, they're, they're facing so many struggles in their day-to-day -day life that when they can't repay a loan, there's someone sitting, sitting on the other side of the street offering them another loan, and that can offer them a temporary respite from the pressure. And they, they don't necessarily know until it's too late that they've got themselves into a debt spiral. And that's why it's so important to really focus on client protection. When you talked about Nicaragua, you talked about, of course, one of the uh, flashpoints was is we are literally going to put 30 people in jail. Okay, so what happens in other parts of the world where people are getting deeper and deeper in debt, repayments are not starting to occur, there's nothing to seize, there's no asset. I mean, you can seize a goat, but it ain't like seizing a house uh, that people know about in the United States. So. What do these institutions do? How do, th how do they attempt to penalize those who do not pay? Or don't they care? Well, it's a slippery slope for an, a microfinance institution. They anticipate that 2 3% of their clients won't repay, and they mm -hmm. have the staffing and the systems in place to, to manage that and cope with it. And they, they expect a certain degree of loss, mm -hmm. and they, can, they build that into their model. But when things start getting to 5 7 10 mm -hmm. 15%, Pretty quickly, the institution can find itself swamped. It doesn't necessarily have the staff to be able to cope with all these delinquent loans. 
And this is the, this is the fear of all microfinance institutions. So really their attitude is we have to nip this in the bud. We have to stop it before it spirals out of control. And they deploy a variety of techniques. Now the worst, the worst techniques that have so far been documented took place in India in the Andhra Pradesh region where loan officers became so aggressive with their clients and used such offensive techniques to ensure repayment that it led to a spate of suicides. Mm -hmm. There were 54 reported suicides of poor women in the Andhra Pradesh region who just simply despaired. They just couldn't go on anymore servicing their debts. There were also cases of women being forced into prostitution mm. to be able to repay loans. And then there was one case of a child being confiscated as sort of like collateral. collateral. And um, the child was, was um, well, it's a teenager, was forced into prostitution to pay off the loan of the mother. And then shortly afterwards, when she was released, once the loan had been repaid off, the, the child committed suicide. So this is the real dark side. And I should say, this is v these are isolated cases. This is not all microfinance. Right. But they're not as isolated as just isolated to India. If there are 54 in India... There could be 54 somewhere else, but there wasn't a camera or there wasn't someone who could speak enough or find a translator who is good enough to explain it to the BBC, right? Yeah, this is the problem is that we, we're just scratching the, the, the surface here. Really, no one knows how often these atrocities are going on. And the idea of that, that for some reason, the only 54 cases ever mm. all took place in this one small right. region of India is, is slightly ridiculous. What we see in other countries is the same general patterns taking mm -hmm. place of over-indebtedness, of loan officers clamping down on their, on their clients. And so, you know, I, I fear that we could be seeing more, more repeats of this, this kind of behavior. All right, we're going to talk more about that and also uh, naming some names and talking about what the people who run these institutions do. I mean, they've got to know that by most human ethical standards, what you've just been hearing described is wrong. It's wrong by anybody's allegedly moral compass. We'll be back with Hugh Sinclair, author of Confessions of a Microfinance Heretic, when we come back for more right here on Culture Sucks. Great ideas can turn into really dismal failures. We'll be back right here on Culture Shocks. What time do your sweet tooth cravings start every night? 8 o'clock? 9? Do you indulge that craving and ruin your day's healthy eating and then wake up tired and dragging in the morning from too much sugar? Now you can give your body what it craves and feed it something healthy before bed so you'll get a better night's sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. Night food is a delicious, decadent, but healthy late-night snack formulated to help you fall asleep and feel rested when you wake up in the morning. A single filling night food bar can take the place of a stack of cookies or that bowl of ice cream. It can do wonders for your diet. Get a free week of night food and you'll see what we mean. Just call us at 1-800-474-5040. Give your body what it craves, late night decadence, and get a great night's sleep too. Call now for your free week of night food. Just pay shipping and handling. 800-474-5040. That's 800-474-5040. Again, 800-474-5040. Call right now. 
Redlands Blueprint and Commercial Printing Company has been serving the greater Inland Empire for over 60 years. For all of your printing needs, from full-color printing to high-speed copying and everything in between, go to Redlands Blueprint and Commercial Printing Company. Their staff is committed to your total satisfaction. Great service isn't just lip service at Redlands Blueprint and Commercial Printing Company. It's the way they do business year after year. Having trouble finding drafting supplies? Redlands Blueprint and Commercial Printing Company still carries a complete selection. Redlands Blueprint and Commercial Printing Company is rated high in customer satisfaction by ValueStar, an independent rating company. For all of your personal or business printing, call Redlands Blueprint and Commercial Printing Company at 909-792-3478. That's 792-3478. Or visit them on New York Street in Redlands off the I-10 and the Crosstown Freeway. Get fit at Get Fit Clinic. Enjoy one-on-one personal training in a private setting. Get Fit Clinic helps you reach your personal goals, whether it's losing those extra pounds or building and strengthening your bones and muscles. Get Fit Clinic is now offering a free consultation by calling 800-227-9883. Call 800-227-9883 or log on to GetFitClinic.com. Do yourself a favor and get into the shape you want. Log on to GetFitClinic.com. Hey everyone, Jerry Gusman here, your host of the Realty Executive Hour, inviting you to tune in every Wednesday afternoon from 4 to 5 p.m. Whether you're a first-time home buyer, homeowner behind on your mortgage payments, or a seasoned investor, my guests and I will share the information you need to take advantage of today's real estate market. So tune in every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. right here on KCAA 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. To the Realty Executive Hour. It's where the experts are. Hello, my name is Stephanie Georgia, and I'm the host of Real Food Empire. But for my day job, I also am an integrative family acupuncturist in San Bernardino County. I specialize in the best of what both Eastern and Western natural medicine has to offer. I use state-of-the-art blood and saliva tests along with the ancient art of traditional Chinese medicine to help you and your loved ones achieve health. Call 909-793-9355 and make that first appointment on your road to recovery. My office at the Wellness Loft is located at 112 East Olive Avenue near historic Old Town in Redlands off the 10 Freeway and the Orange Avenue exit. You can check me out at thewellnessloftonline.com or go to my personal website greenrx.org. I look forward to joining you on your road to recovery. Call 909-793-9355 today for special KCAA listener introductory consultation rates. I look forward to serving you and your family. When you need to secure your valuables privately, go where privacy and security is scientifically managed. 24-7 Private Vaults uses the biometric iris recognition system to establish and maintain your account. Only you get to your vault with your iris scan. No ID, no names. No one in the country provides this degree of privacy and security while at the same time affording you access to your safety deposit boxes. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Take the live tour. Meet Mr. Elliott and the staff at 24-7 Private Vaults. Located near the airport at 3110 East Sunset Road in Las Vegas. Or call 702-948-5555 for more information. Mention this station when you register your box, vault, or safe and receive one month free every year you're a customer with 24-7 Private Vaults. Check out their website at 247privatevaults.com. 
Investors, the intelligent alternative to banks is now an excellent business opportunity. Visit 247privatevaults.com and click on the business opportunity page. Now back to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network. We are back. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That's what the song says. That's what's happening, even in the world of microfinance. Something that was a hit. It was a cult favorite. It was something that everybody wanted to do. Give a little money to somebody. Let them get to a place where they can create a business. Sadly, it hasn't worked out that way. We've suggested that there are problems in the past. Now in studio, Hugh Sinclair, author of Confessions of a Microfinance Heretic. He was in this business. He knows this business and what's been going on. We've been talking about some of the tragedies, I mean, at every level, from just the person who's incredibly depressed because they can't pay back the money they've borrowed to pay off the first lender for the first loan. Now, uh, here we come to the question, people have got to know, just like Bernie Madoff knew, that he was a crook that parts of his family were crooks, that he was hurting people in dramatic ways, that he was putting their lives, their fortunes, their institutions at risk, he could apparently still sleep at night. What about these guys, the people who know that the loans they're making initially or the loans on top of loans are crushing not just the spirit but literally sometimes killing the people that are purportedly those who are supposed to be helped by that little loan? Well, how do they sleep at night? Who are these people? Well, it's a good question. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of investors uh, and, and managers of microfinance institutions that really do have a, a heart for the poor and are not making huge amounts mm. of profit and are doing effective microfinance. But as the profit motives c- comes to dominate, we see that there are really quite extreme cases of um, people making personal profits and also institutions, institutional mm-hmm. investors making vast returns on their investments. So one of the classic cases is the the bank Compartamos, which, was, uh, which is the bank that I mentioned earlier, charging rates of up to right. 195%. 195%. Um, one, of the, one of the main investors in Compartamos, along with the IFC, was the U.S. NGO Acción. Now, Acción made, on, on the basis of a $1 million initial investment, when they did the IPO, they made a $270 million profit. Now, that is a lot of that is a very decent return that attracts the attention of Wall Street pretty <laughs> right. rapidly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't just Axion; it was also some of the individual people within Axion. And as as I sort of mentioned in the book, and as a, a, a recent documentary in, in Denmark has revealed, the, some of the individuals made vast returns, including the CEO of Axion at the time, Maria Otero, who in the two years building up to the, uh, the IPO on the, on the stock market. Um, she made a total remuneration, including bonuses and everything, of $2 million. Mm. So this is not a bad return no. for helping the poor. Um, no. So this idea that it's not 
being it's not leading to personal enrichment is is slightly slightly unusual and after she left Axion in 2009 she then went to serve as a US Under Secretary of State for uh, Democracy and Global Affairs she's not the only one though in the this, this, the following big IPO was the now discredited microfinance institution in India called SKS SKS is when they did their flotation it was 14 times oversubscribed mm. and the CEO Vikramakula made 13 million dollars in cash that year which made him the highest paid banker in India Indeed. and his total the total value of his his package in the, at the point of launching these shares was 60 million dollars now we have to also say that the share price of SKS has subsequently fallen 95 percent mm. as they were as it was revealed that they were involved in quite a few of the, um, the client suicides then the, go- the Indian government came in and started regulating microfinance mm-hmm. in response to this and of course regulation is the enemy of the free market um, you know unrivaled right. uh, uh, visible sh- hands all of a sudden have gloves on them and they're telling you what to do we've all heard that so that led to the, the reduction in the share price so, so yeah. Mr. Akula's shares are not, are not worth quite as much now no. unfortunately um, okay, when you look to the future, uh, assuming that there is some validity to the idea that, that there are circumstances, I mean, Jeffrey Sachs, uh, the end of poverty guy, the guy at Harvard, brilliant guy, I think. I mean, his basic theory is this. If you let people who are poor stay in the mud below the ladder, they'll drown there. They'll die there. You have to get them, and the most difficult thing is to get them to the first rung. You get them to the first rung, it's easier to get to the second and to the third. Do you buy that still? And is there a way that through some combination of monitoring this process of microfinance and mentoring people who think they know what they're doing at the local level, we might be able to salvage this as a not a panacea, but at least one tool to help dire poverty. Yes, I mean I remain optimistic about microfinance, and there are there are endless examples of it working to this day. Unfortunately, they're getting fewer and further between. I mean the the model is not broken. The idea is not has not been proved wrong. What's happening is we're not practicing what we preach is microfinance. If we were actually doing what Muhammad Yunus said providing affordable credit to actual genuine entrepreneurs, not just to buy a new television, but to actually help them get from that bottom rung to the next rung up. And we were doing it in an ethical way whereby we weren't applying huge pressure and forcing people to suicide and things. If we were actually doing that, this could be a very powerful tool. But the problem is, is that it's been hijacked along the way by this profit motive. So I think the first thing that we need to do is acknowledge that there is a problem. And Mm -hmm. just that step is proving extremely difficult because so many people out there have a vested interest in not even acknowledging that we've we've at all deviated from the straight and narrow. The the next thing is the transparency. This is a very opaque sector. Mm -hmm. Really, when when a U.S. uh, investor puts $25 on Kiva or invests some of their money in one of these specialist microfinance funds, the Calvert Foundation or one of these institutions, 
they really have no idea in practice where their money is going. They don't even know what interest rates being charged. Right. They have no idea. So we need to improve transparency. I think the next step we need to take is to improve regulation, and that is both regulation in these developing countries, some of which are actually making good progress in, in that direction, but the vast majority of which have no regulation or no enforced regulation. A person who l listens to this show somewhere in the United States who, who is familiar with Kiva is familiar with it, maybe they've made some contribution. How do they know what to do next? Just as an individual, a person who says, I just want to give $100 and have it make a difference, what do you suggest they do? Well, I, I address this towards the end of the book, yep. is that it's, you know, I urge the reader not to despair. There are a series of steps that you can take, and really what it involves is knowing how to distinguish between the good institutions and the bad institutions. They all appear the same when you look on the yes. websites, yeah? So the only way that a U.S. person who wants to get involved in microfinance can really distinguish is by asking the really difficult questions. So I would suggest, before you invest your money, say to an institution such as Kiva, right, I would like to know, what is the actual interest rate that my money is going to be charged to which person? Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to know that piece of data. When you invest in a microfinance investment fund, what actually is the due diligence that you're going to do with my money? To how, how, are they going to get good answers, clear answers? Do they have to talk to the CEO to get the answers? Well, they go to. Yeah, this is the thing. Is I mean, ultimately, the people have got to vote with their wallets. If they mm -hmm. ask these questions and their institutions are unable to answer them in a credible way, not just some PR spin, right. but actually answer the real tough questions, how they actually select an institution, what they do to protect the interests of the clients, unless they can get really good answers, I would suggest just vote with your wallet and mm -hmm. move away. Move away. There are good institutions out there. That it can take your money and invest it on your behalf and for the benefit of the poor in a responsible way. But unless you ask the tricky questions, you won't know who the good guys are and the bad guys. And so that's what I try to do in the end of the book is explain to people how can you, how can you navigate through this wilderness that is microfinance. How's the uh, microfinance big boy network uh, treating this book? They want to go on CNN with you or would they prefer you fell in a big hole? I think they would probably prefer I fell in a big hole. The, the responses so far have been muted, to, yeah. say, to, say, the, to yeah. say the least. But um, we have have had, had some threats, mm -hmm. um, a lot of pressure, a lot of people are very angry. Of course. And one or two people, I have to say, have stood up and said, you know what, we need to clean up. It's time yep. to clean up. And if That's that good. is the way that people respond, then That's I'm very optimistic. Absolutely. Hugh Sinclair, thanks so much for being here and for doing the book and for doing the hard work that uh, was required in order to get the book done. And as uh, most of the books we do, you go look at the end. The end gives you some sense of what, after you've been shocked into realizing there are lots of bad things happening, that the wells everywhere have not been poisoned. It's still possible to get a good drink of water. Confessions of a Microfinance Heretic by Hugh Sinclair. That does it for today. I'm Barry Lynn. This edition of Culture Shocks has been produced by Diane Robinson, engineered by Dwayne Davis, and the Genesis Communication Network technical staff. Visit us online at cultureshocks.com. KCAA Loma Linda. I'm Brett Malik with the CM1050 News Update. 
San Bernardino's annual car show is staying put. The Convention and Visitors Bureau announced Wednesday it's going to keep the Stater Brothers Route 66 rendezvous downtown. The financially challenged city was planning on moving the four-day event to Glen Helen Regional Park amid questions of whether it could afford adequate police protection. Show organizers will likely seek public donations to help cover the expenses. The rendezvous will take place from September 13th through the 16th. It is official, San Bernardino has become California's third city to file for bankruptcy protection. Wednesday's filing was triggered by a budget shortfall of more than $45.5 million. The filing will not affect essential services in the city. Stockton and Mammoth Lakes have also declared insolvency and filed for bankruptcy protection. Now, the latest from Inland Empire News Radio. I'm Jim Ness. Near Marietta, a combined air and ground assault on a wildfire in the La Cresta area is paying off. Riverside County firefighters were expected to put out that 350-acre blaze by Thursday evening. Sparks from a brush-clearing operation started that blaze on Wednesday. Cal Fire's Melody Hendrickson says windblown flames destroyed one home. There's possibly a couple hundred homes in that area. There's, it's scattered horse property. Firefighters steered the flames away from other homes as some families voluntarily evacuated. The Forest Service may soon be able to beef up its force of firefighting aircraft. Legislation would shift 14 C-27 aircraft, now under control of the Defense Department, to the Forest Service. That proposal comes from Corona Congressman Ken Calvert.